Morning. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. The ushers will be handing out some, some notes today, as always. We have a, a little smaller time in our service, a little shortened, more abbreviated service, and my message will also be a little shorter um, because of a special announcement that we'll be making at the end of this service. So for those of you that might be visiting for the first time, uh, do know that uh, as as is suggested by our name, Coast Bible Church, we're very much a Bible teaching church, and uh, we'll normally have a message uh, of much greater length than this one. But we're glad you're here, and uh, right now we're looking at part two, uh, a second part in our small series on leadership in the church. The title of this message is A Plurality of Leadership in the Church, part two of two, A Plurality of Leadership in the Church. You know, there's a variety of different church structures out there today. I'm sure that all of you are very familiar with them. Uh, Most of you in the audience today have probably gone to a number of churches over your lifetime. You've seen churches of all shapes and sizes. You've seen churches of all different kinds of organizational structure. And I want to highlight, though, today some of the pitfalls, if you will, of some of these structures that are in our midst in the 21st century and have been in some cases for some time. These are pitfalls in some modern church structures. The first pitfall on your outline there is the pitfall of the pastor-CEO model or the pastors-only model. I put on there a little phrase, make room for the professionals. Uh, In some churches... Uh, the pastor is essentially like a business CEO. Uh, he runs the church like a business. He runs it as if he's the chief executive officer. Uh, he calls all the shots. He makes all the decisions. Uh, no one else has input but him. And uh, this is an environment in which the pastor essentially serves as the head and the unchallenged head. Generally speaking, though, that kind of an environment also has a variety of other pastors, or a pastors-only model I've indicated there. I know of some churches where uh, I've, I've sometimes inquired about some of these churches, and I ask them, I'll ask the pastor, or maybe one of the other pastors on staff, I'll ask them, do you have elders? And they say, yes, we have elders. All of the pastors are elders. And I'll follow up the question with, with um, are all of your pastors compensated? And the answer was, well, yes, all of our pastors are compensated. And so the implication there is that all of the pastors of the church are elders, all of them are compensated, and all of them vote on the matters of the church, whether it's compensation or vision or the future. So each of them, interestingly enough, have a, a very vested stake in the interests of that vote, wouldn't you think? Um, It's a model that uh, has been very prominent um, in the latter part of the 20th century. I think, and in the early early and latter part of the 20th century, I think it's a model that's on its way out today, as a matter of fact. It's it's becoming more rare. Uh, 
for a church to just be led by a pastor CEO or a group of pastors. But nevertheless, they're still out there. And it's an interesting model that I think has potential for a lot of pitfalls. There's a second model out there that's what I'm calling the indistinguishable elder model. And I put that word indistinguishable in there for good reason. Because a lot of churches have reacted against the pastor-CEO model or the pastors-only model in which the the pastors kind of, uh, you know... uh, pretend that they, that they themselves are the elders as well. And, and so in the indistinguishable elder model, that's swinging the pendulum all the way to the other side. Rather than only the paid ministers leading and guiding and making decisions, even on their own uh, compensation from the church, some churches swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and say, you know what, we're not going to have any paid pastors, we're just going to have elders. In fact, I know of a, a, a number of churches... Um, uh, sometimes uh, in a Grace Brethren uh, commu- uh, denomination, there are elder-only churches. Uh, I know of one church in Colorado that I attended once that, uh, that had just elders, no paid ministers. But they, they make the, the point there that all the elders are indistinguishable, that they're all equal, that there's no, there's no primary teacher, there's no primary leader. Every single one is equal has equal say, equal time, equal ability to, to preach and lead and, and make decisions for the life of the church. And so, in a sense, their motto would be, why have one chief when you can have many? But the pitfalls of an indistinguishable elder model are also readily apparent, and we'll get into some of the whys of that in just a moment. Finally, you've got kind of a what I might call a congregation coup d'etat, where the people... Uh, grab hold of a church and say, you know what, we're just, forget the pastor's only model. We're not going to have a pastor CEO. Neither are we going to have this indistinguishable elder model where the elders are all the same and have equal time and say in all the teaching and leading. But we're going to take hold of it as a congregation and we're just going to vote, vote, vote on everything. Don't like the carpet? We're going to vote on it. Don't like the lighting? We're going to vote on it. Don't like the paint? Let's vote on it. You've probably seen a church like that. And that's a church that that often gets wrapped up in minuscule matters that often really don't matter at all. The truth is, and what's interestingly uh, developed, actually beautifully, if you were to read our church constitution, the truth is, is that the pastor, the elders, and the congregation all have a part to play that neither one of those three groups should rise up above the other in preeminence or in a more aggressive behavior in grabbing hold of the church but rather that these three pastors elders and the people would work in cooperation with one another for the benefit of the church having said that god brings order amidst the, the pastors, the elders, and the people. And the order that he naturally develops is shown in the New Testament. We looked at some of this last week. Some of this will be redundant, but some, as we get to the backside, will be a little more fresh. The New Testament model of church leadership is, number one in your outline, to appoint qualified elders. 
1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. To appoint qualified elders. God has said in his word that elders are to be the leaders of a local church. And secondly, that the elders are to be men of, write this down, prayer, prayer, who teach, lead, and shepherd the church. The elders are to be men of prayer, who teach, lead, and shepherd the church. This is evidence in Acts 6, verse 4, where the apostles and elders turned to the deacons and said, we, we need you to take care of some of the basic needs of the church, some of the fundamental more welfare, physical needs, so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So these men are to be appointed in churches. They're to be men of, of prayer, of spiritual priorities, who teach, lead, and shepherd the church in accordance with 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers, Peter wrote. And thirdly, and this is what we'll get into some newer content here today. Let the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit develop a natural order among the elders. Write that down. Let the Holy Spirit develop a natural order among the elders. That there would be an ordering of these leaders. And that ordering is to take place in three ways. Let the Holy Spirit develop a natural order, a natural progression among the elders in three distinct facets. Number one, in spiritual gifting, letter A there. Let the Holy Spirit develop an order among the elders with respect to spiritual gifting. Letter B, in sound leadership. Let the Spirit develop an order among the elders based on sound leadership. And item C there, let the Spirit develop an order, uh, a natural order among the elders based on diligence C in teaching the word. Diligence in teaching the word. The word. Three things that the New Testament evidences as far as how the church leaders are to be ordered or structured. The Holy Spirit goes about working in the life of the leaders of any church. And as the New Testament demonstrates, that ordering, that progression, as he rises up certain leaders, as he lifts up certain leaders to lead or to teach, that that ordering is to be based on spiritual gifting, sound leadership, or, and or diligence in teaching the word. Let's look at the first one, spiritual gifting. The first one says that, look, the Holy Spirit orders the leaders of a church based on spiritual gifting. I had you open up to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, a familiar verse. It says, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's interesting about these five gifts, we've said it before, but let's emphasize it again, is that these five gifts and offices in the book of Ephesians, as Paul develops this concept, these five gifts and offices in a church are among, they're a subset of spiritual gifts, a subset of five 
or four, depending on how you understand pastor-teacher. They're a subset of gifts that the Holy Spirit has set aside as equipping gifts. They're leading gifts. They are, uh, they are gifts that are often uh, found among church leaders and teachers. Apostles and prophets. These were men that the church was built upon. Built upon the ministry of the apostles, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, it's always said in the New Testament. Thirdly, you have evangelists, that is to say, leaders who especially espouse the gospel, who especially espouse the clarity of the gospel, the ministry of the word, the desire within the church to go out and to make disciples of all nations. These are the enthusiasts within the church, leaders who rally the church around the cause of Christ and seek to save the lost. And some pastors and teachers, these are shepherds and, and those who preach and teach the word. These are leaders who equip the church to be well, first minister to the church in terms of a shepherd ministering and caring for the people, being with the people and teaching the church, guiding her leading her in the word and sound doctrine, the Holy Spirit develops a natural order among the elders of a church with respect to spiritual gifts. And to, sit, to go back up to the model, the indistinguishable elder model, when a church says that all the elders uh, are, are totally equal, they have all equal say, they have all equal time, they have, they, they, each of, let's say there's ten elders, there's one elder takes one Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and then after ten we go, we do it again. That's a church that doesn't understand the concept of the ordering of the elder board or of the office of an elder with respect to spiritual gifting. Some leaders will be more gifted in certain ways. Other leaders will be more gifted in other ways. And the church should be ordered and structured around that spiritual gifting. Not just from a leadership standpoint, by the way, but also for all of the gifts. We don't put someone uh, in charge of hospital visitation uh, when they don't have the gift of mercy. You know, <laughs> I can see it now, going to the hospital and visiting the sick. And the person without the gift of mercy says, what's the problem? Let's go. Get up. Come on. You got a broken leg? Too bad. Let's go. Back in church, you don't put a person who doesn't have the gift of mercy on a hospital visit. It makes no sense. You order the church, you order the elders based on spiritual gifting. There's a second way you order the church and order the leadership of a church. You order it based on sound leadership, B, sound Leadership. We saw this in 1 Timothy 5.17 when Paul wrote, turn there if you would, because I'd like you to kind of park it there, go past Ephesians a few books down, um, and you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And in verse 17, Paul write, he's writing to Timothy, who's a, probably a pastor, teacher, elder in his church, and Paul's giving him some advice, and this is what he tells Timothy about the leaders of the church, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That's an indication there 
that there will be there will be a number of elders in a church and appoint elders in every church. Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every church. The elders will naturally progress and be ordered based on their spiritual gifting. And then some elders will rise up in prominence, not because of popularity. It ought not be that way. Not because of their winsomeness or their ability to use words, but rather based on how they rule, how they lead, how they give oversight. Paul tells Timothy, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Sound leadership matters. And we want to identify within a church's leadership structure who are the leaders that have been a little more tested. Who are the leaders that have been a little more tried? Who are the leaders that have taken that mantle on a little bit longer, have demonstrated a little bit more adeptness and capacity and ability to lead and guide the church? And we as a church will look upon those sound leaders, those elders who rule well, and we will show them greater honor, greater respect, greater deference. I'll give you an example of how this, this works in our church. Um, one of the things that I always uh, mention in terms of what I personally look for in a qualification for an elder, in addition to 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1, which are, which are the biblical qualifications for what an elder ought to be, I also look at the book of James when James says, Let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. If, if, an elder, if a prospective elder doesn't have those qualities in my mind, uh, they ought not be an elder. Because an elder, especially a young elder, a new elder of a church, is to be a man who shows deference and honor and respect toward those elders who have ruled well, who have sound leadership. And in our own elder meetings, when we gather, um, it's interesting because our younger elders do just that. I, it's sometimes... Uh, it's, I, have to, I have to pull it out of some of our younger elders to, to give their comments because they are wise and they are giving deference to the other elders who have been down the road a little bit longer, who have watched and led the church a little bit longer. And so even in our own elder dynamic in our church, we see the younger elders showing deference to those who have led well and have a history of leading well. And we count them worthy of double honor, double the respect. So there's ordering among the church. We order the church based on spiritual gifts and the elder board and the elders based on spiritual gifts. We order the church based on sound leadership. Who, whose opinion, whose judgment, whose discernment should we wait more we order it based on sound leadership. A third way we order it, we order the church and the, we order the, the elders, is we order it based on diligence in teaching the word. Diligence in teaching the word. 1 Timothy 5 continues. He sa- Paul says to Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And then he says, Especially those elders who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. 
Here we find a third way, a facet of the structure of the elders. We structure them based on gifting. Who can do what based on God's gifting? We structure the elders based on sound leadership. Whose opinion do we wait more? Who's, who, who do we show more honor to and respect? Finally, we order it based on who has been gifted and given the ability to be diligent in teaching the word. And Paul says, those who labor, labor. That is to say, work hard, diligently, persevere, sweat in God's word. Those elders who labor in word and doctrine, those elders, Paul writes, is worthy of their wages. I've given you a few other scriptures there to look up. This is the rationale in the New Testament and the Old, if you look at Numbers 18 and the, the, the mention there of the Levites who, who served the people of Israel. This is the rationale behind compensating teaching elders or what we would, might know in the American church as pastors. This is the rationale behind uh, monetarily compensating teaching elders or other teachers that come. When we, when we invite a guest speaker to speak, we compensate them because they're coming to teach and speak on behalf of God's word to our people. And so we provide them an honorarium. We, we compensate them for their work as the scripture says. This is an ordering. We structure the church based on gifting, based on sound leadership, and based on who has the ability and the capacity and the drive and the time to devote to God's word and to teach it to the people. Sadly, I think the Western American church is often missing the boat on some of this structuring. If you look at the back side of your outline there, we, we, we see there time and again that, that, that pastor-CEO model or the pastors-only model where I asked the, the, the pastor of the church, I said, well, who are your elders? He said, we are. And uh, it, just, it always strikes me as odd that, uh, that these men, these same pastors, all of whom are being compensated by the church and all of whom vote for their own raises or their own reductions, which I think would probably happen rarely. It seems to just be, uh, be very strange. But listen, we, we have this danger of one mentality that's always out there. But on your outline, no individual possesses all the gifts that are needed to teach, lead, and shepherd the church. No individual, I don't care who it is, they don't have the many gifts that are required in a church to lead her in a way that is balanced and healthy. Romans 12.4, Paul writes, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Of course not. Of course not. And secondly, I want to say, in, in addition to, to, to the danger of having just one primary, and that is that there is high risk, high risk in a church environment where a pastor's leadership is unchecked by and unaccountable to a group of elders. High risk. Daniel Wallace writes, Churches that have a pastor as an authority above all others have a disproportionately high number of moral failures at the top level of leadership. I remember a pastor in, um, that's, uh, in Southern California and uh, he, he was that 
top-level CEO executive. Whatever he said went. He actually walked into a church environment in which there were elders, in which there were lay elders, unpaid elders. And he proceeded systematically to, to, to take away the, the power and the authority that God has invested in the elders of a local church. And this pastor just, he, he stripped the power away from them over the, over the years. And, he, and the church got driven into the ground because of a moral failure on his part. He went off after that and he, and he raised up another church quickly, again unchecked by elders, unchecked uh, by any kind of authority over him. And he proceeded to, to, to raise up a building campaign for this new church that, that he was going to raise up. He proceeded to take donations and take donations from the people. And, and by the time that they had, they had purchased the land, they realized that something was, was, was was wrong because when they checked the deed of the land that they had purchased, it was in the pastor's name. That's just one microcosm of numerous examples that we could give when you leave one man, one individual, to lead a church unchecked by any of the other elders, by any of the people of the church there is great danger in just one and that is why as we now come to the conclusion here why do we speak and do we esteem a plurality of elders why do we esteem a plurality of leaders and of teachers in a local church number one because having multiple gifted and sound leading elders reduces the risk of abuses of power and increases church health and vision. I'll say that again. Having multiple gifted and sound leading elders reduces the risk of abuses of power and increases church health and vision. Too many abuses of power when one leader is left unchecked. Secondly, not just leading elders, but teaching elders. We want, it says they're having multiple gifted and diligent teaching elders reduces the risk of mishandling God's word and helps impart the whole counsel of God. You know, I, I read the whole counsel of God. I read God's word through Neil's eyes and I pray every week that the Holy Spirit would guide me. But the truth of the matter is... There are elements of God's Word where I feel very capable and confident in. And then there are other elements where as I prepare and I'm studying, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, boy, I really, I need some extra help. I need some extra guidance in God's Word here today for, for, for this or that message. Um, when a church can have multiple gifted and devoted teachers, uh, that church receives the benefit of receiving the whole counsel of God. I'll miss things when I teach sometimes. There was one individual who came up to me after one of my messages and said, hey, you actually got that wrong. And he was right. I had mentioned something about Joseph's coat and how the coat that he might have had in Egypt when he left Potiphar's wife might have been the coat that his father gave him. That was wrong. I don't know why I missed it. That coat got torn up by his brother's. And so I miss things in Scripture because I'm human, because I'm, I'm a man and I, I fail. And sometimes I'll have predispositions towards certain passages, whereas when others would read it, they'd say, hey, well, what about this and what about that? 
when a church can have multiple teachers, that church is going to be healthier because it allows multiple individuals to rise up to consider the scriptures together in community with one another and to point out the various strengths and weaknesses of how each other understands God's word. It helps impart the whole counsel of God to have multiple gifted and diligent teaching leaders and elders. Thirdly, accountability and growth in Christ occurs in community. Write that down, community. Church leaders are to mutually submit to and shepherd one another. Accountability and growth only happens in community. And so church leaders, whether it's a pastor, whether it's an elder, whether it's a ministry leader, they need to mutually submit to and shepherd one another. When, when Peter wrote to uh, the elders in 1 Peter 5, he said, I, Peter, exhort you, the elders. And then he went on to say, I, who am among the elders. So Peter was both recognizing his, his authority as a leading elder, uh, uh, one who led well, but also recognizing that he was among them, that he was deferential toward them, that he was with them and alongside them. That's good accountability. Mutually submitting to one another and shepherding one another. Who's pastoring? The pastors. And fourth, as the old adage goes, there is wisdom in numbers. There's wisdom in numbers. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall... One will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We've laid out, I think, in these last two messages, succinctly and and, and briefly, why it is that we have and aim for a plurality of leaders in the church. It's because the New Testament calls for it. The New Testament exemplifies it. There's not to be just one CEO. That is not to be just a number of pastors, all of whom uh, are the elders and all of whom vote their own compensation packages but rather it's to be a plurality of leading elders, of teaching elders, of other capable ministry leaders, those who can raise up the church, equipping her into the future. I'm so pleased with Coast Bible Church and the heritage that we've had because though at times we uh, maybe have... uh, maybe elevated the pastor a little bit higher uh, than he ought to have been as simply one man, I think the elders of Coast Bible Church have always been rising up in the time that I've been here. I've been at this church now for 11 years, and I've seen the elders progress and progress and progress. And today, they are at, in my opinion, a height, a peak in their own spiritual development in understanding that they have been charged, not just me, but all of the elders have been charged with shepherding the flock of God, with shepherding the church. That's why Lloyd's gonna, Lloyd led 
the Lord's Supper today. That's why Lloyd's going to preach later on. Uh, that's why Lou is our chairman. He's, a, he's an elder who leads well. That's why we give deference to men like Glenn and David and Al Eaton when we call him back into board meetings, who is a retired elder today. But we, as an elder board, are rising up in, uh, in wisdom and in unity. And I'm excited about what the church has in store for her. So folks, um, let us pay close attention to the New Testament ordering of how a church should run. And let us structure Coast Bible Church accordingly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the pattern that you've laid out in Scripture. That you, uh, that you know, Lord, we're desiring to follow and imitate. Lord, uh, forbid us from being a church where there's only one man at the top. No man, no individual could possibly lead an organization as dynamic as your body. The church requires multiple leaders. The church requires multiple elders, leading elders, and teaching elders, servants of the church, those who are deployed to the work of the ministry. And I pray, God, that we would all work in cooperation now as we rise up to a new phase in the life of the church, that you would give us clear vision a clear desire to follow your word. And Father, that you would bless our efforts as we try to align ourselves with what you want the church to look like. We love you, Father. We thank you for your son. Would your spirit guide us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.